Welcome to the Atheist Nomads. We are a new podcast just starting out. This is our pilot episode. I'm Dustin Williams, and I have Wesley here with me. Say hello, Wesley. Hello, I'm Wesley. So just a little bit on why we're doing this. Uh, you know, we're both atheists and active in our, our local communities, and uh, I've been blogging for almost two years at dwnomad.com, and Wesley joined the site, uh, what was it, November Mid- or December? Yeah, early December. Yeah, early December. He's been uh, sharing news stories, and you know, I, I, I like his writing style, and he's snarky, and seemed like a good person to do a podcast with. It's pretty much the same for Dustin. I mean, he, he brings the intelligence, I bring the snark. It's kind of a, a good combo so far. Yeah. And Digging it. One reason why, you know, I've thought about doing a podcast for a while. I've had, you know, had a lot of fun, what, six episodes I was on Chariots of Iron, and I was on Living After Faith once. I uh, definitely enjoy the whole podcast thing. I, I like listening to podcasts, and I'm the type that I like to give back when I'm receiving something. So, you know, that's part of why I started blogging was I was tired of just consuming uh, atheist media. I wanted to actually produce some and podcasting, similar thing. It's kind of nice to give back. I actually quite agree. I, I've been listening to podcasts, mostly skeptical podcasts, for years now, and you know, I, this is a a great idea. I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, and uh, one reason why I wanted to have Wesley along is not only you know do we have a good rapport with you know blogging together, but Wesley, uh, it, it's it's always nice to have two people on a, on a show. Um, the ones that just have one person, well, that can be really good if you're just doing a lecture type. You don't have the banter back and forth, and and personally, I, I like that back and forth that you can get. Um, tends to break it up and minimizes some of the well, just improves the overall experience. It lightens the mood a little bit. And Definitely. Carl Sagan, you know, he, he's awesome. You know, but that voice, he could have used somebody to bounce some stuff off of. Mm-hmm. Oh, and what I've also found is if you have more than two people, it can get a little bit complicated when you're just kind of going back and forth a lot. I think the only one that does really well with that is the SGU. They have, what, like four or five people on there all the time. And uh, Typically, I think it's five, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, but then again, most of them don't talk that much. Well, they each have their thing that they're they're really into that they talk about. And so they just do that kind of back and forth on the topics that they they feel like. Yep. And they have a really good dynamic on that one. So yes, that would be a good exception. <laughs> so in today's show, we'll be going through some news, uh, sharing a little bit more about ourselves. And uh, tomorrow, uh, well, today is May 19 that we're recording. Uh, tomorrow, Roy Zimmerman is coming into Boise to do a show, and he's agreed to do a, an interview. So I'll be uh, putting that in as well. Yeah, you get to have some fun with time traveling here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea when this is actually going to be posted on the on the internet. Still have a lot of work to do to get it ready. First time editing a podcast, plus setting up the site, uh, the RSS feed, getting into iTunes, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Don't so, forget Zoom. Oh wait, I, or everybody else has. Never mind. <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about Zoom. We'll see. I used to love mine. And now it just sits there. Yeah. Hooray think, for Android. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of, of that type of stuff is, has gone away because why bother, you know, why carry a second device when you have one that does everything? Exactly. <laughs> now, one thing I'm definitely proud of that I'm looking forward to is I'm a big fan of open source software. And everything with the show, except for Wesley and the fact that we're using Skype, is open source. <laughs> Uh, I'm using Linux, using an open-source Skype call recorder. Uh, it's going to be edited on Audacity, a uh, open-source audio editing program, and uh, hosted on a Linux-based server. I'm just running a scratch-built Wintel machine. <laughs> Wintel, okay. <laughs> it, this is actually my first Intel computer. I've always went AMD until this one. Really? Yeah. Uh, this is my first Intel desktop. How's it working? <clears throat> it's great. The uh, i5 performs quite well. I've got a, a K2600 uh, in mine. It's the i7. Oh. Uh, awesome for overclocking. Yeah. I'm, I'm not overclocking. Uh, I, I want it to last a while. <laughs> it was cheap. I don't care. 
Fair enough. All right, why don't we uh, stop BSing and, and get to work? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. So, on to the news. All right. Let's see. Uh, the first one that I was looking at is the uh, FDA endorsing a over-the-counter uh, HIV test that should diagnose within 20 minutes. Uh, this is actually very interesting to both me and Dustin. What did you find out about that? Well, I, I actually uh, looked up the report that the uh, the company behind it, Oraquick, that they, they put in with the FDA. And it's like a 48-page document, and I, I skimmed through it. Um, so this is a, a oral test, self-administered. And the way it works is you take a swab from, you know, inside of your mouth. And, yeah, it takes 20 minutes for it to come up with a test result. With all laboratory testing, um, you have, have a few issues that will come up. There's what's known as a false positive, which is a test result that should be negative or is actually negative but was read as positive. You have false negatives, which are actually uh, positive but were read as negative. Indeterminate results where it doesn't tell you one way or the other. Uh, invalid results were you know, basically the same thing. And then, of course, you have your true positives and your true negatives. The way they did this study was they compared it against their already uh, FDA-approved oral test used in doctor's offices. Okay. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just being used for a little different purpose. And they did two studies. One was looking at observed tests, and that was a pretty small group. And the second one was a group about 10 times the size with almost 5,500 people actually turning in and reporting results and completing the test. 5,500 people who had an unknown HIV status, and they actually did it unobserved at the place of their choosing. Hmm. What they found was a sensitivity of 93%, and sensitivity is defined as your true positives divided by the sum of your true positives and false negatives, which gave 93%. Your specificity is, is your true negatives divided by the sum of your true negatives and false positives. And that one was at 99.98%. Wow. Since sensitivity is, is determining how many of the positives are actually true, whereas your specificity is looking at how much, many of your negatives are actually true, uh, this is a test that is much better at reporting negative results than positive results. This has some, some pros and cons. Depending on the, the purpose of your test, whether you're trying to, you know, say if you're in the biologics field, which I actually work in, where you're dealing with something that's coming out of people and going into people, <laughs> blood, blood components, uh, organs, and, uh, you know, eggs and sperm as well. Those are all categorized as biologics. Anytime you're dealing with something like that, you are much more concerned with false negatives than you are false positives. If you have somebody who is actually positive, you want that test to come out as positive. And if you have a false positive, big deal. Yeah. Sure, you might have ruined somebody's day when you notify them that they have tested positive for this, this horrible disease, in this case HIV, but you're keeping the supplies safe. Well, all the more reason. If you if you come out negative, you know, great. But if you come out positive, either way you should be testing again. Yeah. With this home test. Especially. A 93% rate of, of yielding actually true positive results as opposed to false negatives, um, that's that's a little bit concerning. 7% of results that should be positive are being reported as negative. And this is just being compared against the tests being used at home. This isn't being compared against other kinds, or the tests being used in, in doctor's offices, not being compared against tests, um, you know, the more conventional ones that are done off of blood samples. And so that that is a little bit worrisome. Uh, you're going to have people that have a false assurance that they do not have HIV. The positive of it is more people will be testing more frequently and be more likely to be correctly uh, identified 
and go in and get, you know, actual professional diagnostic testing, counseling and and treatment. So there's there's a bit of a trade off here. And I, I really hope that in the final literature that, that goes out, if this gets gets approved, which is expected to be approved for consumer use by the end of the year, I really hope they stress in there the risk of a false negative. You know, having a, a negative test result with this this device, uh, this this test doesn't mean you can stop wearing condoms. Oh, goodness, no. Uh, if, if you're at a point where you're in a, a committed relationship where, you know, you're going to, to take that step, you want actual high quality diagnostic testing. And okay. one, one important thing with that is, is testing windows. Uh, typical tests are, are what are known as serological tests. And this is a, a serological test that we're, we're talking about right now. Um, those are looking specifically for antibodies to the disease. And in the case of this test, it is only looking at HIV-1. It is not looking at HIV-2. However, HIV-2 is primarily only found in Africa. Mm. Now, that means if you're concerned about HIV because you have a sex partner who's from West Africa, that means this test won't be helping you out at all. Um, if you're concerned about more common uh, types of HIV in the U.S., then this will, will help. I didn't know that that uh, HIV two hadn't been more spread around the world. Not yet. Um, <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, it, it is definitely present in the U.S., but it is much less common. So that's not the big one that you're likely to get. Uh, but getting formal testing is is definitely important. Oh yeah, the testing windows, NAT testing, or the or the nucleotide acid test that actually look for the virus. Um, current techniques, it can take weeks to get results back on those. Under uh, some, some experimental tests they're, or techniques they're trying, you'd actually be able to get results within a couple of hours, which would be absolutely awesome. Uh, but currently it's very slow, it's a lot more expensive, and unless you're in a known high-risk group and you specifically ask for it, your doctor is not likely to order a NAT test. They're much more likely to go for serological testing. It's much cheaper, faster results, but that's only looking for antibodies. So well, that, that was my question then. Uh, since this is only looking for antibodies, it takes your body a, a while to build up those defenses. So you could have HIV for days, weeks, couldn't you, before the, uh, this test would be effective? Months. Months. Nice. Yeah. Okay. NAT testing is... At about the two-week level, I think. Okay. Um, now, these are all, they aren't that firm of, of numbers, so probably more like two- to six-week range for, for getting an accurate NAT, uh, NAT test result. As okay. far as the the serological tests, it's more like two- to six months. <sighs> Generally, three months is, is considered pretty good. Um, and, and most of the time it is accurate within about three months, but that's assuming somebody that has an, an average immune system. If your body's been under a lot of stress, uh, your, your immune system's been under a lot of stress, it's been overworked, or you have some kind of a disorder that makes it so that you don't produce antibodies as quickly or in as high of concentrations as the average person, then you will not be producing antibodies uh, as quickly. So it'd take longer to get that test. <laughs> or to get an accurate result. That's why Dan Savage recommends that if you're going to stop using condoms, wait three months, test, wait another three months, test again, and then wait another three months and test again. And no raw dogging in between. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's also probably not a bad idea to take advantage of dry spells to get tested. Hmm. Yeah, break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. and. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got if you haven't gotten any in, in three or four months, get tested. You won't have you know odds are you'll have an accurate result for that that period of time. Sounds like it's a good plan. And next up, uh, the Filipino Christians are protesting Lady Gaga. Oh my goodness! Uh, first uh, in I think it was South Korea and a lot of Asian countries, and now in the Philippines. This woman just can't get a break. So what are they doing to her? 
essentially there's a lot of uh, Christian youth groups or basically a lot of groups. Uh, Catholics are out there also uh, saying that she's basically a, a monster. Uh, her song Judas is, is getting mocked. Uh, a lot of her concerts are being put to 18 or 21 years of age. So young people aren't allowed to go. Uh, she's just being, uh, respect our faith. Stop the blasphemy or is, has been put onto signs that people are holding up. I mean, it, it, if you want to protest her because she has crappy music. Awesome. She <laughs> does. Who protests crappy music? Christians. It's it's a judgment call. <laughs> you you like it or you don't. Uh, it, it doesn't mean it's inherently bad. Yeah, I mean her Not her, necessarily. her, out, her outfits are bad. <laughs> you didn't like the meat dress? Oh goodness. Oh, the woman has issues. I mean, that there's there's no doubt about that. But shite. Wesley, you can Sorry. go ahead and say the actual word. Shit. All right, there we go. I I do have a, a love for the word shite though. Oh, well, I, I'm planning on marking this as as explicit in iTunes, and we better actually earn that. Okay, so I'll have to look up that seven words you can't say on TV. <laughs> Ooh, we could play that at some point. <laughs> That'd be fun. Well, you know, you can't get sued by the dead. <laughs> There's a certain amount that you can actually get away with uh, under fair use rules. Yeah. And I'll make sure I actually follow, look those up and, and follow them. <laughs> no. uh, but, okay, back to the story. Yes. Um, They're holding vigils um, for, for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. The authorities have already said that nudity and ludax aren't allowed. Granted. So that shouldn't be a big deal. Um, and... Yeah, if you don't want to go, just don't go. I mean, her costumes are usually more more covering than Madonna's are. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised if Madonna got a lot of uh, flack going to a place like the Philippines. Well, she is a Kabbalist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of weird. Now, there was something at the end of this article that I found interesting. Uh, under Philippine law, people who offend race or religion can be sentenced to up to six years in prison. Yeah, uh, just like the uh, atheist that I wrote about, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, he's in, I think he's in jail now because he said on his Facebook page that there was no God. And he got hauled out from his place of work and got taken to jail and court soon after. That was, was that Indonesia or Malaysia? I think that was Indonesia. But yeah, the idea that offending religion can get you put in jail... Well, in some countries, killed is is absolutely horrible. I don't care what the group is; you should be able to speak your mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot not, of us that wouldn't last. <laughs> <laughs> you might not be right in what you're saying, but you should be able to have the ability to speak out. Yeah, that a whole uh, American imperial ideals of, of free speech, trying to impose that on the world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, up up until recently, uh, British libel laws, Americans could be sued in British courts for what they said or wrote about. Uh, thankfully, that just got uh, yanked in the U.S. courts not too long mm. ago. Well, we do have kind of a... So, unfair, hooray. We have an unfair legal uh, advantage with, with Britain. Uh, during the Bush and Blair years, they, they got some deals uh, set up to where the U.S. could extradite almost anybody from Britain but Britain could hardly extradite anybody from the U.S. Yeah, but we are kind of like the the, the, the mean kid out of the family. <laughs> We're the first one out. We are. I mean, Australia still kind of looks up to us a little bit, even though they're, they're more, you know, queen and country. But, yeah. You know, we're the rebellious one, damn it. Well, it's really funny when you look at that is what the, the uh, founders of the U.S. actually wanted was essentially what Canada got. Yeah. They, they didn't – they just wanted their own parliament. They wanted to stay under the king, uh, wanted to stay part of the British Empire, 
but when that was rejected, uh, they decided to rebel. And and the reason why the Declaration of Independence is addressed to the king is because he was the only recognized authority as far as they were concerned, even though already by that time, Parliament had virtually all the power. Right. They were still trying to work within the system. Yeah. The, the only system they really knew. Man. <laughs> yeah. And we've gotten way off topic. <laughs> Don't worry, people. This will happen a lot. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> All, right. All right. What's next? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have seen The Exorcist way back in the day. And all you young folks that haven't, go see it. Awesome things done with the crucifix. But the author, William Peter Blatty, uh, he's about to sue Georgetown University because he's saying that essentially... The Catholics aren't, well, Catholic enough. Uh, they've strayed from the path, and he really thinks that they ought to kind of be reined back in and brought back into the fold. This is just, I mean, who, who's right and who's wrong on how you worship your God, if well, at all? This is a pretty common thing you'll see in, in just about any denomination schools. Yep. Uh, this happened, well, actually, it's still kind of going on. Uh, with one of my alma mater's uh, sister schools, uh, La Sierra University. Uh, it's a Adventist denominational college, and one of the professors got in trouble for teaching evolution as fact. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a student, How dare he? A student recorded some lectures and then sent those off to a friend of his who was an evangelist, who then sent it all the way up to the general conference, launched this huge investigation and the end result of it was actually an investigation from uh, the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, the, the major uh, accrediting body for the Western U.S., giving them uh, only renewing their accreditation on a provisional basis. Oh, my goodness. This creates a lot of issues when with religiously affiliated schools because they rely on a lot of money from the denomination they're a part of. And especially from the faithful members of the church that are alumni that, you know, pay a big chunk of the bill. Oh, yeah. Alumni have a lot of power. To lose that kind of, of, of affiliation can be very troubling and, and, and very expensive. Um, in the case of La Sierra University, it's $100 million a year. Damn. Georgetown, I'm not sure what, the, what their situation is exactly. But it's a lot of money. But... That kind of power and influence interferes with with ed, uh, academic uh, freedom and institutional autonomy that educational creditors uh, value and and require. Well, that's, that's it's crazy. Uh, there's a there's a lot of this uh, going on between the Vatican One and Vatican Two people. Uh, pretty much the same fight. Uh, it just seems like. A lot of the old old school people are getting back into power, though. Like uh, in here in Seattle, uh, basically recently we, we got uh, same sex marriage allowed, and the, the Catholics are out there in mass. At least the uh, Vatican One guys trying to get this essentially repealed. Hmm. Uh, and they're they're having the signups and and lectures in their church about this. Wow. You see that a lot in, in different religious groups where you have a kind of a pendulum effect where they go back and forth between, you know, getting significantly more liberal and significantly more conservative. And generally speaking, it's a gradual shift towards, you know, more progressive values and, and, and positions. But in some cases, when it swings to the right, it, it's a really hard backlash. Well, yeah. Sometimes it 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 swings so far to the left that people balk and like, hey, 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 you know, let's tighten those reins down and put the kibosh on that. Yeah. It it's just kind of sad. It'll take time, but hey, as a world, maybe we'll we'll progress, or maybe we'll blow up. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we have any Georgetown uh, alumni listening. 
don't worry about accreditation for Georgetown with this potential suit because they're just looking at, at school policies as far as conduct and and finances and healthcare and that kind of stuff. Not as far as any actual academic things as as far as I can tell from the article. And now on to other news. Uh, since I, I do actually love picking on the Catholics for some reason. <laughs> uh, so this Catholic college is uh, they're they're drop they're trying to get rid of the quote unquote Obamacare and not have uh, mandated contraception in their health insurance plans. So instead of instead of having contraception, they're like ah oh, screw it, we'll just get rid of it all. How how is that even? How is that even right for anybody in the school? Can't you even trust your own employees to not take the pill or not use condoms? This is just mind-blowing to me. Well, what I find quite interesting about it is health insurance companies have been at least providing standard prescription uh, medicine or, or, yeah, prescription uh, medicine coverage for for contraceptives for, for years. And they've been covering sterilization procedures as well. At a very high level, I, I know somebody a few years back, his copay on a, a vasectomy was fifteen dollars. Nice. Um, insurance companies don't want you to have kids; it's expensive. Oh yeah. Just a, a birth alone can easily cost an insurance company, you know, three to eight thousand dollars, and a lot of them have cutoffs as to how much they'll pay for the birth. <laughs> and then it's adding another person onto that plan when you add the kid onto your your insurance, and Kids get sick a lot. They do. They smell bad. They they're sticky. They're messy. Yeah. Yeah, and their their immune systems are still developing. They're still, you know, they're just they have a lot more problems than adults do health wise, or at least young middle, to middle aged adults. Yeah. And so it, it's expensive. Now the fact that they don't want to cover it at all now, why hasn't this been an issue in the past? Well, it mostly because it's an election year. <laughs> well true good good on obama for at least trying but he's also the plan that he's trying is mitt romney's plan from his state yeah it's essentially a republican plan well and it's then the republicans are the ones bulking oh some high-ranking uh republicans in, in congress in the 90s wrote basically the same thing never passed but that was what they were pushing for when the democrats wanted to go more to a single payer system. Yeah, I I don't see. I mean, Obama, he's he's pretty he's getting towards center right on a lot of stuff. I don't see why so so many people are taking issue with this. Well, it's because he's a Democrat. Oh, uh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, Republicans <laughs> and Democrats tend to have pretty similar policies they try to push through. But if it's that, somebody from the wrong party that's, that's sponsoring the bill, it's wrong. That label, man. Yeah, I think we should just have him put on the boxing gloves. <laughs> oh, could you imagine if it was back to like 1800s where there was actually one case where a duel was fought in Congress? Really? Yeah. That would be badass. They might have broken it up. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but yeah. You can make C-SPAN into pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, and if it's a old, real old school duel, the loser dies. Yeah, then they could have like the, all those those fat mustaches like they have on the Heineken commercials. And, <laughs> yeah, I, some bare knuckle boxing. I'd I'd pay to see that. Yeah, let, let's let's stick to boxing. Yeah, that, that would work pretty good. Yeah, I'm not trying to go through congressmen that quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, could you imagine if one goes to the grave and the other goes to jail? <laughs> we could clean up the crooks so fast. Nice. Yeah. They'd have to start getting along. Man, now we just need to get like some Mexican wrestlers up here to get in Congress. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. for the record, we do not endorse politicians killing each other or anybody else killing each other, for that matter. Unless it's for a good cause. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, nobody should die except when it's their natural-born time. Anyways, well, that's it for the news. Wesley, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Oh, boy. Okay. I'm a, a 30-something up here in Bremerton, Washington. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. 
uh, down in, uh, actually born in Oakland, raised in the East Bay. And my family and I moved up here as missionaries, essentially, to the Seattle area. And we helped build our, our local church. Huh. So Went to, know, that, to convert the godless heathens. You goddamn right. Man, yeah, missionary Baptist, that's what we were all about. Used to see people speaking in tongues, you know, rolling their eyes around, rolling on the floor. And I'm sure I got a snake handler somewhere back because I got family in Kentucky too, but Hmm. good times. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, well, family had, you know, got moved up here, built the church. Uh, My father started having some issues. Bad stuff. Parents started getting a divorce. Uh, my father, he, he wanted to get right with the Lord. So the church, of course, you know, took him back in and we essentially got turned out. So yeah, I didn't question the religion. I just questioned the people that were in it. Mm. So, so that, that actually got me studying the Bible, studying them as much as I could. I started studying other religions at the time, about nine years of age. Between then to about 13, so about four years, I read everything I could on on just about any subject I could find that was religiously related. Mm-hmm. So after that, I pretty much came to the conclusion it's all bullshit. About 13 is when I started calling myself an atheist, but wow. didn't, didn't tell my mom until I was about 16. Wow. As, aside from a few tears, it went actually pretty well. Hmm. So... uh you got there pretty quick. Yeah. You know, well, we hadn't been really religious since we left the church, so that, that did help. But, yeah, my, my mother was always a believer until hmm. till she died. So, But, you know, we did have a, a nice little tradition of going to the the uh, Ebenezer Church, which is the, the church that all the, ba- the black Baptists go to around here, because I'll tell you what, you know what? White churches, quiet as a whisper, whispering all the time unless you're singing. Oh, yeah. black, ch- black churches is awesome. Music everywhere, people jumping up. Man. Oh, I've, I've been to a, a black Baptist church in, in Seattle. Yeah. It's pretty they, good. They know how to party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dinner and snacks afterwards, they take care of you. It's great. So a- after that, uh, yeah, last few years, actually about the last five years, I've, I've been starting to get a little active. Uh, in the last, say, three years, I guess now, uh, I helped form the Kitsap community, the Kitsap County Atheists and Agnostics, one of the founding members of that, and one of the founding members of the Kitsap County Skeptics groups. Hmm. I've been, uh, so far I've planned three lectures from, uh, well, two of them from a astrophysicist, uh, teacher and friend of mine. He's given a couple lectures. And just had another gent, uh, professor of geology, give a, a lecture on plate, plate tectonics uh, and actually a lot of other basic but very interesting topics the last uh, couple weeks here. Mm, very so, nice. Yeah, trying to promote the science. Mm-hmm. So how about yourself? Well, I was uh, born and raised in the Seventh Adventist Church. Went to Adventist schools from third grade all the way on. When I was 17... I was going to Adventist boarding school at the time uh, for the last two years of high school. Every year, the senior class goes up into the woods and has a week-long apocalyptic survival training course. And, yeah, so you'd have, you know, all your your wilderness survival stuff, team-building exercises, and, of course, spiritual survival, where you're studying Adventist apocalyptic prophecies. And it just so happened we're in the middle of of our... uh, spiritual survival class on uh, that Tuesday morning when uh, news came in that some horrible things had happened. Uh, That was uh, September 11, 2001. Within a few weeks, I was starting to feel a call to the the ministry. Uh, I I was convinced that the end was very near, uh, that that September 11 was an apocalyptic event, that it was definitely a sign of, of what was to come. And I just felt this growing convic- conviction throughout the year that, that I should, I should be preaching the gospel. Um, well, that's uh, a pretty definite sign there. 
Well, I, I was resisting it um, as much as I could until I got bit by a poisonous spider while I was on a mission trip down to Mexico. Picked up a nasty infection, uh, almost lost my left big toe, but fortunately, uh, antibiotics definitely, they worked. They helped and, yeah, saved the toe. And, uh, but with that event, um, I felt it was, you know, like when Jacob wrestled with the angel or when, mm. when Paul on the road to Damascus, I was afraid that if I, I continued to resist, that God would take my foot or leg or my life. Damn. I was offered an Air Force ROTC scholarship, which I'd worked very hard to get, and checked out a school that was offering me a lot of scholarship money on top of that, to where I would have paid like $8,000 my freshman year and had the rest of college completely paid for. But it was a very liberal school. It was something that was a lot different than anything I'd ever encountered before, and it was quite terrifying. I then went to check out one of denominational schools, Walla Walla College, uh, now Walla Walla University. And I felt very comfortable there. It was just an extension of, of the Adventist world I'd, I'd always known. But I, I didn't know which way to go. So I got down on my knees and I asked God. And in my head, I heard very clearly, go to Walla Walla, take theology. So I did. Did it sound like Charleston Heston? No, no. Didn't really sound like anything too specific. Damn. Of course it wouldn't. It was my own internal uh, monologue or, or I guess internal dialogue or whatever you want to call it. But I, you know, I, I then went to Walla Walla. Uh, I was a, a theology major. By the end of my freshman year, I had already started to come up with some, some pretty serious doubts and those just intensified as things went on. Uh, I had a, a big issue with, with the Trinity doctrine uh, for the simple reason that it's completely illogical one plus one plus one does not equal one. One. <laughs> it equals three. So you either have three gods or you have one. You cannot have have both. So that was that was quite quite uh, problematic for me. I also ran into issues with with the authority of scripture because there was so much that didn't match up with science. Now I was still a, a young Earth creationist. The the, the modern form of uh, of creationism is typically just that the Earth was here. There just wasn't anything living on it until hmm. until creation started six to ten thousand years ago, or at least sometime recently. But that kind of invalidated a day or two in, in the, the creation narrative of, of Genesis. If the universe was already here, if the earth was already here, then the sun, moon, and stars were not created on a specific day a few thousand years ago. And so that, that started causing some serious issues. In, in my, my theology classes, uh, well, specifically the biblical studies classes, I was exposed to, to contradictions in the Bible. Depending on whether you look at Matthew or Luke, yeah. Jesus was either born in 5 BC or 80. And depending on which gospel you look at, Peter denied Jesus a total of five times. People that have tried to actually combine all of them, yeah, it's five different denials. Yeah. But the prophecy was that Jesus had, had foretold a few days before was three times. And each one specifically says that it was three times. But there's five different denials. So which was it? The way it was explained by my professors is that these are small, insignificant details. And those don't matter. It's the message that's important and the message that was inspired. And it helped a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. Uh, there were several times throughout my undergrad that... I didn't consider myself a Christian, um, where I'd, I'd slip into, into deism. Mm. And the, the longest and, and strongest in that time period was towards the end of my senior year, where my big issue is with the doctrine of salvation. Okay. Um, each time I'd go through these, though, I would find something in my studies or, or read something or think of something that would allow me to move past it. And, and feel comfortable that I come to a more mature, better understanding of it. But then every single time something would come up that would change that. And I, I'd get, you know, just get deeper in and come up with a new issue, a, a new doubt, typically on those same few topics. Uh, when I didn't get hired by the church to be a pastor uh, during my undergrad, I, I went ahead and 
went on to the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University uh, to work on a Master of Divinity. Those doubts continued to come up, and they continued to get stronger. Uh, and I came so close to quitting at the, during my first semester, and then again during my second semester. And I decided that I needed to get out of the classroom and, and get some, some time to think. So I went to Jordan for six weeks on an archaeological dig, and I went to Mexico uh, for three weeks to preach an evangelistic series. And what was what was interesting with all of that was the reason why I couldn't let it go was of that sense. It was because of that sense of calling that I had. It had never gone away, and I wasn't yet ready to admit that it was just a delusion. By the time I got to Mexico to preach, uh, I got four sermons in. I didn't believe a single thing that came out of my mouth the entire time, and I'd done my best up to that point to not preach a sermon I didn't I didn't believe. I'd done it once and I hated it. And this time I had I had canned sermons I had to do. And I had slideshows where on the screen I'm looking at, it's all in English, but what's being projected is in Spanish. <laughs> I had a translator and I had to follow the 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 formula. Follow what it was that they had prepared. And Four sermons in three days' time, because one of those was was a Sabbath. Um, Adventists uh, worship on on, on Saturday. Um, had church that morning and and then preaching that night. So four times in three days, preaching for about forty five minutes, something that I didn't believe. It was it was brutal and it was destroying me. And I quit. Um, I, I had to choose between my my integrity. Or, you know, depression. And I, I chose my, my integrity. So I quit. I started uh, partying. I was, I was in Cancun preaching, so <laughs> it's a great place to apostatize. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back to back to the real world, finished up a little bit of coursework, which I'm not even sure why I bothered since it's not a degree that's really transferable to anything else. doesn't really matter, but I wanted to at least finish up those classes. And I did. Um, I got a job within a month of, of actually uh, leaving Michigan, which is something that most people in my situation don't find. And the reason why I had such good luck was I was very dedicated. I applied over 200 positions. Uh, everything I could find on monster.com, I applied for. And the person that hired me thought he was hiring a good Christian. <laughs> oh, if you only knew. Oh, he found out yeah. and felt deceived and then was later okay with it. Uh, but, yeah. Man, 200 applications, you throw enough shit at the wall, something's going to stick. Exactly. Uh, you, you can't be picky. No. That's... When you've got a, a, a BA and BS, you <laughs> cannot be picky. <laughs> Yeah, just like my niece. Man, I love her, but she just keeps on waiting for the perfect job, and it's never going to come. Like, So isn't it time to get a Mick job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just get, a, get something. Now, at that point, I was at least just looking at entry-level management positions. Yep. And I hadn't exhausted all of those. Uh, by the end, I actually was starting to apply for positions anywhere in the western U.S., um, if it had gone a few more weeks, I would have been applying for everything in the U.S. Uh, but so I, I started with that. I moved to Tacoma, uh, did some management training, and then I moved up to Everett. And when I was living in the Seattle area, I didn't really feel any need for uh, for any kind of non-believing community. So many people around me didn't believe in God. Why bother? Yeah, that's, that's one of the great things about the Northwest. Well, certain parts of the Northwest. <laughs> okay. 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 Portland and Seattle, yes. <laughs> yeah, Western Washington, Portland. Okay. Yeah, when you're in the metropolitan areas, it's it's quite. There's a lot of non-believers, but you get outside of that, and there are some very devout areas. And then when I moved to uh, to Boise, yeah, you know, it's just 500 miles away from Seattle. But a world away. It's a world away. Yes, it is so much more conservative. There are so many more believers here. 
although the big difference is really just the people that believe in God here are actually serious about it. Where in Seattle, the ones that believe in God really aren't that serious. For the most part, no different than the non-believers. Yeah, they're, they're Sunday believers. If even that. Every other, yeah, every other day, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it's great. So it's the same thing for me. I didn't feel a need to get involved because there's, it, it's just not an issue with re- religious people around here for the most part. And I, I do kind of have that lone wolf feeling that most atheists seem to have. But, uh, you know, I, I, I started feeling a need for a little bit of community. So, you know, helped form one. Yeah. Oh, the reason I got involved in the community here in Boise was, I hadn't really had any friends. Yeah, same. I'd walked away from my entire life. And when you're, you move a lot and you're in a management position, you know, you don't have any peers at work. Um, you don't have anybody you can go out drinking with. And Seattle, you know, neighbors usually aren't all that friendly. So it's, you know, that was, was kind of hard to try to make friends that way. And I came here and I wanted to have a community. I wanted to have some friends. So I got involved with the local community, very quickly became co-organizer of one and then another, and pretty quick after that. Yeah. And I've, I've really been uh, enjoying that. My uh, social life is better than it's ever been, and that's all thanks to the atheist community. For sure. I'm very blown away by, by the, the sense that I actually really want community sometimes, because I, I never have until the last couple of years, and it's a, a godsend. <laughs> bullshit <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so that's the other thing you, you guys will be hearing a lot of is a random chuckling <laughs> hey it's not that random <laughs> yeah it is for me yeah I'll just have a stupid look on my face <laughs> just chuckle oh boy Roy and I started talking after the show And the interview started without me even realizing it. So I went ahead and turned on the mic. So let's go ahead and cut right into it. Um, No, I play a lot of shows, you know, for for free thinkers and and for, uh, you know, secular humanists and uh, and what have you, you know, under that umbrella. Um, Mostly because of that song, Creation Science Mm -hmm. 101. Because that did hit the YouTube and made the YouTube big time. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you say? 1.4 million hits now? I think it's about 1.4. Okay, well, that's cool. You know, I, I sound- can look up the exact number. <laughs> I would say that sounds like a lot until you realize that Fat Boy Falls Off Truck has 37 million views. And it's just, you know, <laughs> it's really quite, quite relative. Um, but that is wonderful for me. And, and, and because of that song, I play a lot of shows, you know, for, for, for groups like that. Um, you know, uh, just just on this tour alone, I played this this event called Rock Beyond Belief. You know about this mm-hmm. event? Okay, good. I was you know oh, I was yeah. privileged to be part of that then too, and met Richard Dawkins. And um, now we have a little email chat going on. It was it's pretty it's pretty cool. You know, just uh, got to stop by Morris, um, Minnesota, and 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 do a little interview with P. Z. Myers on my way through then too. And these are all acquaintances you know now that I that I have because of that song. Um, too, but I do a lot of shows at Unitarian churches then too, yeah. and centers for spiritual living and so forth then too, where people are getting together. This, this it's another kind of burgeoning movement. People are getting together around issues of doubt rather than belief. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you know, and and uh, people who want who who want the experience of getting together around common interests and human interests and all that then too, that isn't. Um, Sullied, you might even say, you know, by uh, by traditional religious, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of wa- the, the weightiness of that and the and the demands of that. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that actually was one of the questions I was going to ask, <laughs> so that kind of worked. Good. Yeah. What was the actual question? The actual question was, <laughs> all right. So having played, a, you know, such things as the American Humanist Association convention, and, yes, yes, and uh, Skeptic Society cruise and Rock Beyond Belief. Why the hell are we in a church? <laughs> well, that's that. Yeah, that's why. You know, I, I, I don't play very often in the Baptist, the Lutheran, you know, Presbyterian, what have you. Um, you know, and, and it's and it's because uh, the Unitarian churches, and in this case, the Center for Spiritual Living, they're open to that. You know, there's people who are in, who have inquiring minds and aren't afraid to laugh in church, right. and uh, to embrace 
to embrace opinions that aren't like theirs. You know, it's yeah. not dogmatic in that oh, way. Oh, the, the pastor was still talking to you after you said shit. Oh yeah. Oh, I've been surprised what I can get away with in a, in a, yeah, right, exactly. It's been worse than that. Yeah. Right. Well, no, I just said shit in the sanctuary. Yeah, you did. Exactly. Right. You know, nothing nothing fell down. It's all it's all still here. So so yeah. All right. Now, tell us a little bit about your tour that you're on. Well, I the the, the tour in general is a 50 state tour. I've made a campaign promise, mm-hmm. right, to perform in all 50 states before the Republican National Convention, so I'm going to try to get it all done by August. Okay. And I'm well on my way. I don't and know. when did you start? Well, we started, um, truly we started back in last August on the Skeptics Cruise to Alaska. We were smart enough to count Alaska as our first date. <laughs> um, so yeah, 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 well, we're, while we were up there with the Skeptics and, and Michael Shermer and stuff, we, we, uh, we counted that state. Um, but then, you know, then we started touring in, in earnest, you know, basically this year in January. Um, and this was a nine week, I say week because I'm touring with my wife. My mm-hmm. wife and I travel together and we're writing songs together as we go along and stuff. Um, and this was a nine week tour that took us a uh, driving tour all the way from, from, uh, San Francisco Bay area out to Maine and, and back. Wow. Yeah. And you said earlier, this is your last stop before you head home for last a stop break. on this leg of the tour. Yeah. 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 And then we're home for just a little while. I do some California shows, but then we head up to Oregon, Washington um, come home for a little while. I go to the go to the south and and do uh, and get ready to do the co- conventions themselves, Florida and North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and then in the fall, we're going to do all the swing states, the states that are going to matter the most, you know, for uh, for the Democrats. So, how many is it looking like you'll actually make by the, the Republican convention? Well, we may have to wink at Hawaii. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, that, it is a campaign promise, so that's the wink hey, in there. Hey, vacation excuse. <laughs> well, it, it, w- it would be, exactly, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but we may have to do a green screen thing there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here I am in Hawaii. Yeah, you know. Now, by the time of the election, how many states do you, will you have, have been to this year? By the time of the election, well, 49 states in D.C., so, you know, we can count. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So sure. you actually are going to hit all of them. Hell yeah. Maybe a little bit late, but you'll get to them. Yeah, no, by the convention, I'll, I, you know, I'll have hit all 50. Mm. Definitely, yeah, because Idaho's number 41. Am I right about that? Yeah, wow. number 41. So so I can just, you know, tick them off now, They're gonna, and we all have them all planned, too, so there's, there's nothing going to stop me now. Wow, that's that's impressive. I'm like the U.S. Postal Service. Nothing will stop me except the Republican Congress. <laughs> uh, so, how did you get into doing satirical political music? It comes to me naturally. I started writing songs, you know, in junior high and high school, and almost immediately they were funny songs about things that were happening right away, just to crack my friend, crack my, crack, crack my friends up, and. Um, uh, and it wasn't too long before they started getting political about what was the scene that was happening out there then too. And I had a group in the 90s called the Foreman, and the Foreman was four guys doing you know um, folk era style stuff, but it was political satire as well even yeah. then. Um, so that's what I've been doing for 20 plus years. Wow. Yeah. So the whole time. Yeah, yeah, political satire, really social and political satire. Yeah. Now why? It's what nourishes me. It's what nourishes me, you know. It's what it's it's where I find my place, you know. I could write love songs, but I couldn't write them, you know, necessarily better or as well as others others write them. And uh, I'm at a stage in my life too where these things matter a lot to me, and I feel like I have a beat on them in terms of what mm-hmm. I believe about them and, and all that. Then too, and I feel like I write these songs you know, uh, as well or better than most. So, do you do you find uh, the satire to be a a useful tool? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always say it's not about what, how the song goes. It's about what the song does. Right? You can learn mm-hmm. a song. You can learn the melody and the lyrics, and you can sing the song. But if you don't know what the song does, you're not really singing it. Yeah. And a song's got to do some work in the world. Well, and, and listen to your set tonight. <clears throat> Notice a little bit of, you know, Stephen Colbert or John Stewart style uh, Thank you. satire. <laughs> excellent. Well, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Stephen Colbert is such a, such a master at that. Such a, I mean, John Stewart is a beautiful, beautiful com- comedian, has all kinds of great skills. Um, and, you know, hilarious, of course, you know, Stephen Colbert takes it that one step further, I think. And he's just playing that character to the hilt, never gives up, never lets on, never um, breaks character. Um, even before Congress, <laughs> even before Congress, even standing there right in front of the president, making fun of the president, you know, yeah. so 
So he has, you know, he has nothing but my respect, you know, for, for the courage that it takes to do that and um, the control and discipline that it takes to play that character that way. That's satire. Mm-hmm. And not everybody gets it. That's the thing. He does it to the point of being a Poe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He takes it that far. Right. And is very effective. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 It's, it's dangerous in that sense because if somebody's listening with one ear, they can get exactly the wrong message. Uh, but uh, you can't back down. It, there isn't really that risk with your music, though. <laughs> I, well, a couple I songs, a couple songs, perhaps, but mm-hmm. most of it probably not. <laughs> I'm going for the laugh on most songs like that, and so and and you know, on a couple of songs I get a little bit more serious. There's a song called "Hope, Struggle, and Change." You heard at the end of the set there, which is mm-hmm. more my heart on the sleeve kind of a song, where I'm just standing out there saying what I think. You know, um, like I say, I'm on my soapbox rather than on my music box at that point. <laughs> uh, but most of the songs are are written. From exactly the wrong the, the wrong point of view. As you, you travel around the country, I'm sure you get to meet all kinds of different types of people. Do you think there's any chance of of bridging that gap with kind of the more mainstream religious crowd to bring them at least more to the left, or at least towards the center left on on these the social issues, civil rights type? It issues? can't really be my job to do that, it, to change anybody. But do you th- do you see that there's there's a chance of it? I've seen it happen, but it's rare. I've seen it happen. When Creation Science first went up on YouTube, uh, it inspired all kinds of comments right away then, too, because it's a hot-button issue, and people are commenting not on the song or my performance, and certainly, but on, but on the issue. And there were hot, you know, hotly contested debates that would go on from, you know, between one troll and another. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And uh, the co- you'll see, if you go there, not only does the, the video have 1.4 million views, but the comments are now, I don't know where they, where they are, there are probably 70,000 comments or something, you know. Wow. And I, as I say, it's not, you know, I can't take that, you know, as, as an ego stroke because they're all not about me. They're about, they're about creationism versus evolution. One guy was possessed to write a song in response and post a song. Hmm. A couple guys, actually, but one guy in particular struck me as, as, as so, he was so dear to me, actually, you know. This young guy and like a little, like a knit skull cap on and he's kind of singing very softly in his room. Um, about how wrong I was, you know, and how, you know, how I'll get, I'll get the right idea one of these days, you know. Um, and, uh, we struck up a little conversation and I actually answered some of his, some of his, his, uh, his comments and, and a couple of months later, he wrote a comment that said, you've changed my mind. And it was startling. And it turned out the guy's a seminarian and he was studying these issues anyway. He had an open mind to change anyway. And the, but the song was a catalyst, I think, hmm. towards saying, it's absurd, isn't it? Look at it. It's absurd. Yeah. As soon as you sing it out loud and, you know, just say, you know, say it out loud. It's absurd. Well, it was actually a creation versus evolution class in the seminary that convinced me of, of the fact of evolution. Oh, yeah. And it was very much a class trying to push creationist dogma. Okay. And they don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, so you, you went prepared, no doubt. I mean, you went with, you went, you know, in some way, even if you didn't have the particular facts about it when you went in, you went prepared for that conclusion, I think, you know, prepared to, to accept the, the real information and to question. No, I wasn't. No? Okay, well. I wasn't. Well, then, okay, well, was then let me ask you for your own podcast, what, <laughs> what led you to question it then? What, what do you think was the, the seed of well, that questioning? I did have a little bit of an open mind. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I wanted to know the truth. Yeah. And anybody uh-huh. who's, yes, <laughs> anybody who's searching for truth there, there comes that point where you have to accept that you will just, you will follow the evidence where it leads. Yeah. And that you will follow, you know, the true answers. And I went into that class expecting it to just reaffirm my, my, my belief in, in a, a you know, literal six day creation. Yeah. And about halfway through, I, I had concluded that it was complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you went, you went <laughs> looking for the truth. And, um, you know, if you go to, the, have you been to the creation museum? I haven't been to the one there. They're trying to get one here in town. Oh, here, uh, over in, Nampa, here in Boise, actually. yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. And uh, one of the local uh, groups here I'm, I'm involved with, we went and checked it out last spring. Okay. All right, yeah, they're springing up here and there. There's one in San Diego, there's one in Texas somewhere, there's the big one in Florida, of course, then, too, you know, the theme park kind of one mm-hmm. down there and stuff. Uh, what's his name, Ken Ham, is that his name? Uh, yeah. Ken, who actually teaches a course called Creation Science 101, I came to find out, oh. to my chagrin, after I'd written the song. Um <laughs> But I'm talking about the one, you know, in Kentucky, right, you know, that, that was in religious lists and, and all that. Um, 
And if you if you go there, you know, I, I went thinking they're going to try to make a case for creationism. You know, well, that was a, it turned out to be an egoistic way to walk in there. They're, they don't care about what I think. They don't care about making a case for me. All they care about is bolstering the 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 idea of um, you know God's laws versus versus you know man's uh, weakness. Or how do they put it? They have they have a, they have lots of tablets that, that that compare you know God's truth versus you know. Um, Re, the, the the weakness of reason or something like that. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, there's the, the biblical verse, the uh, was it the wisdom of God is the foolishness of man or something like that. Hmm. Probably trying to tie into that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. But who wrote that? Hmm. Um, <laughs> if any uh, listeners want to find you on your next stop or or the next the rest of your tour, where can they they find where you're going to be? Please go to RoyZimmerman.com and there's a there's a newsletter sign up there. You can go you can sign up there and then get my monthly newsletter and find out all these shows that I'm doing are called the Live from the Starving Year. That's the that's the name of this tour because the Starving Year is my little like uh, nightclub of the mind that I take with me everywhere I go and it's a meeting place for for people of like minds but also people who are you know who are willing to embrace other options as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I was talking about about these churches then too. You know. Just like just like the the nightclubs of the of the late 50s, early 60s, you know, where these ideas were being bounced all around, you know, political ideas and social ideas and all that, um, you know, getting together in one place, the starving year, that is to say. So if you go there and sign up on the newsletter, you'll find out where the starving year is going to be next, and it could very well be in your town, given that I'm hitting all 50 states. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. All right, you bet you, man. Much appreciated. My pleasure. I had a good time at Roy's show, and it was a pleasure to talk to as well. If he comes to your town, I highly recommend you check out his show. He also gave me permission to include what was probably my favorite song of the evening. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Here's the song. Enjoy. There was a headline recently that uh, that really struck me. It said, Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Glory how he blew ya. Once there was a preacher by the name of Ted Haggard Who stumbled from the path, or you might even say staggered He was one in a million, or more aptly one in ten Some folks say he put the men in awe, man He preached the gospel message of intolerance and self-loathing And traveled on his wayward way, betraying his betrothing was the soul of piety and no one doubted him until he hired a gigolo and used a pseudonym so he humbly went to counseling and then three weeks later he's born again again because ted haggard is completely heterosexual ted haggard is completely heterosexual ted haggard is completely heterosexual glory how he blew Telephoned the White House for a weekly consultation Saying here's what Jesus thinks of all the pending legislation Marriage is a covenant between a man and wife And homosexuals will thrive forever in the afterlife He did some other things he'd later disavow But he's putting it all behind him now What does Leviticus have to say? Yeah, what does it say about being gay? To lie with man is an abomination Like cursing your parents, trimming your beard Planting wheat and barley in the same furrow Eating pork, wearing polyester and masturbation And what did Jesus have to say? Yeah, what did he say about being gay? Well, nothing Now Ted's a little haggard, but he's thankful for the schism But wait for it And you might find it hard to swallow The syllogism That even evildoers have a reason to rejoice Because they can simply make a better lifestyle choice So if you're a gay teenager Probably Jesus doesn't love you Because he knows Ted Haggard doesn't think a whole lot of you So don't embrace the way God made you. Here's what you should do. 
choose to be a hetero and seven foot two because Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Glory how he blew. I mean, glory holy blue. I mean, glory hallelujah. Now, Ted would like you all to know the story has a moral. And of all the televangelists, his favorite is Oral. All right, so I just wanted to thank everybody for joining us, which I'm sure there might be 10, 12 people listening. But, you know. If we're lucky. If we're lucky, hey, I'll be happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, the show's been kind of shit, so don't worry about it. We'll get better. So it'll be like shit plus Twinkies next time. You know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll build upon build upon the pile. So have a good one, everybody. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.